Well, hey, uh, I'm excited about this new series that we're starting today. It's called Holy, and it's as we go through the Lent season, focusing on who is this God of Christianity. Now, for some of you, you know, already I've said a, a few Christianese words that have just gone, uh, not, not real interesting. It's, it's uh, you know, a word like holy that we use in culture is generally like holy cow or holy fill in the blank or, you know, he's holier than thou. If, if people are thinking about it in terms of, of a religious word, you know, it's a, a spiritual word, they're, they're, uh, yeah, that's, that's for those, those churchy people use words like holy. But even if they're spiritual, people wouldn't usually use holy in our culture as a defining attribute for God. Even within the church, it's a word that gets thrown around. It's in songs, and, and, and we can often have a vague idea of it. So uh, let's start off just, just getting a sense of what that word means. Theologians look at it in, in two different ways when talking about God. And the first way is that he is transcendent, meaning he is, he is beyond physical limitations. He's beyond human understanding, time and space. He exists apart and, and beyond us. In the second way, he is morally perfect. He's, he is impeccable in his character. He is righteous. He never messes up. He, he, he is always doing good. He is holy. Okay, so uh, the uh, theologian K.H. Easley, he, he comments on holy, holiness like this. Without holiness, God would not be God. I think that's a great statement. Without holiness, God would not be God. Well, we've all uh, we've all stepped out inside on a on a starry night, you know, when it's when it's clear. Not like this time of year, but sometimes there there are stars up there, and and we glance up. Oh, it's a starry night. It's clear. It's not raining. Great. Go about our business. Don't don't think much about, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. I don't wonder what you are. I'm doing my thing. But if we if we kind of take a little time to to look and actually gaze, and maybe uh, like our bass player Gary let, let me borrow this incredible high-power telescope, and we look through and get everything focused in just right, we we might find ourselves going wow, oh man, that's amazing, that's stunning. You don't have to be prompted, right? It, we just, we're drawn in to this sort of, wow, magnifying what we're magnifying. I think it's easy to, to have a similar thing happen with God, that if we just kind of, look at him from a distance or in passing, he doesn't seem all that impressive. We're going about our life, we got our things that we're doing, and he's just kind of this hazy, you know, person up there in heaven somewhere. My, my hope for today is that as we zoom in, as we, as we kind of use a Bible as a telescope, so to speak, to, 
to look at this vision of who God is, that we would find ourselves going, wow, you are amazing, God. Wow, how great thou art, truly. No arm twisting, just as a natural response to seeing him more clearly. We'll start by examining a Bible passage that'll be kind of our telescope to look through. You can flip there. It's at the end of your Bible, Revelation 4. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones out there. We'd love to give you one as a gift. So Revelation 4, let me just set it up for a minute. Uh, the, The Jesus follower named John, he's been following his risen Messiah for decades now. He's one of the last original followers alive. And He's been so excited about Jesus that he is exiled to a remote island in the Mediterranean so he can't talk to anybody about it. There he is, sort of in solitary confinement, and Jesus Christ himself visits John in all his majesty and splendor. He has some important words of instruction for the local churches, And then he lets John peer as though through a telescope up into heaven to the very throne room of God. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Skipping ahead to verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now here's a question. How do you define, how do you describe the color magenta to somebody who's blind? How would you describe a Mozart symphony to somebody who is deaf? Similarly, imagine that John is trying to describe a heavenly scene with with colors and beings that we've never seen. And so he's going to rely on metaphor. He's going to make comparisons. He's going to use a lot of, it was like this. So keep an eye out for him, trying to describe the sort of indescribable. Let's read on uh, in verse 3 and 4. Verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And then uh, this scene here, you know, think about um, these elders We're not sure, the theologians aren't sure who this is. There's many different theories that have been postulated. Some say, oh, maybe this is the the whole of the church. Others say, oh, it's it's the, the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Many different theories have come out over the centuries. Whatever they were, whoever they were, what's clear is that they 
we're not the main event. And they know that. As prominent as they were, check out down in verse 10 what their response is to being in the presence of God. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Wow. We won't read further into chapter 5, but I'll just tell you that while this, while this image zooms in on the throne and then backs out to the, the 24 elders, it continues to back out to thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels surrounding this worship gathering. And then even to all of creation in the earth, above the earth, Below the earth, all creation gathers to worship God. And so we zoom back in on these elders. And and what do we see them doing? These prominent leaders. They're worship leaders. And their posture is to get as low as they can go. They fall on their faces before him. And they cast their crowns before the throne of God. That's humility and reverence. The proper response to being in majesty's presence. I think it's uh, quite different than our culture. You think about it, and really, isn't it? through all cultures, that the more we rise in influence and power and authority and prestige, the more we expect the red carpet, the more we want people following our Facebook posts and our tweets, the more whether we're, we're the, the Republican or Democratic nominee or the, the winner of the Super Bowl, we think that people ought to kind of give us some praise. The danger, friends, is that the bigger we get, the smaller God tends to become. The more we magnify ourselves, the more we focus in on our lives as central, the more God shrinks. I wonder today if we're not finding ourselves wowed ever by God. If our God is maybe too small. To put it another way, using the the telescope analogy, perhaps he's just a little too distant. Our view of him is is shallow, it's it's foggy, it's hazy, distorted. In his book, Your God is Too Small, J.B. Phillips writes this. The trouble with many people today is that they have not found a God big enough for modern needs. 
While their experience of life has grown in a score of directions and their mental horizons have been expanded to the point of bewilderment by world events and by scientific discoveries, their ideas of God have remained largely static. Now this book was written in the 60s. It's only truer today, isn't it? Long before the, before the computer and the internet were on the scene. You know, uh, I think most of us are familiar with the song, How Great Is Our God, right? How great is our God. Sing with me. Well, today we're going we're gonna to do something different. That, in that song, it's really a statement, how great is our God. But today we're going to do a pop quiz. And we're going to actually ask the question, how great is our God? Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I want you to actually ponder these, uh, these different response, A, B, C, D, and just check in, what do, where am I at today? What do I really think? How great is your God? A, he's not great. In fact, this whole theme is boring. Possibly. B, He's okay most of the time. C, he's definitely above average. Or D, his greatness is beyond my ability to even comprehend. Now, this quiz, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, we all know what the right answer is, right? But how do we really feel? And what is our experience day to day? It's worth pondering. Let's dive back into the text and see how those four outrageous creatures would answer the question of how great is our God. Remember, we heard Melissa reading about them earlier and, and these four creatures that, that, that have a face like a lion and like an ox and like an eagle and, and like the face of a man. Listen to this. From verse 8, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And theologians think that this may have referred to them as being all-seeing. There's nothing that escapes their view. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. We sing songs about it, right? This, this acclamation made by these angelic beings, it's, it's also written in the same way in Isaiah's vision of heaven, saying the same statement, holy, holy, holy. Calling God holy He's transcendent, beyond us, morally perfect, flawless in character. It's right and true to say such a thing. In fact, it must be true of him. Because if he is not perfect, if he's flawed in any way, he's deficient and therefore unworthy of glory, honor, and praise. He cannot be God if he is not holy. To say God is holy 
and then repeat it three times. It just reaffirms the truth. It puts an exclamation point on it. God is holy, no doubt. We also see some balanced phrasing take place in the, in the next two lines. And if you look at it like this, so we have holy, holy, holy initially, and then the first word of the next phrase, Lord, before God and Almighty. Lord, remember that that is the name Yahweh that, that was given uh, to when, when uh, Moses was before God at the burning bush. And he asked him, who shall I say is sending me? And he said, I am, which is the rendering of, of Yahweh. Tell them, I am, he sent you. And then the next phrase, God, pointing to his deity. There's no doubt, this is God, the one and only. And finally, the Greek word, pantokrator, literally meaning all power, almighty, a perfect additional description for what we would hope God is like. He is all-powerful. And then the final line expands on the name Yahweh from that first one. Remember that meaning I am, present through all time. But then, so he, he says, who was and is and is to come. God is the only being who was and is, and is to come. Throughout all time, He is eternal. He's always existed. He always will exist. This is our God. In the beginning, He was there. In the end, He'll be there. I hope it's coming into focus as we, as we look into this text that the clearer we see Him, the closer up that we get and zooming in, the more that he begins to blow our minds. The more he mesmerizes us with his profound beauty, incredible holiness. To the point where we just would spontaneously find ourselves saying, wow. Not because we have to, but because we're just so moved. I want to, I'll be honest with you, though, uh, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm the pastor who oversees worship arts here. My, my life calling and work is to help others to point themselves and focus on God and give Him all glory and praise that is due His name. I wanted to move towards these heavenly expressions within our community. But when I first read this text back in high school, and I... And I heard about these beings with eyes all around their bodies and, and they got oxen heads and lion heads and I was just like, what? And okay, now, now they're, I mean, it's one thing, I got it. You, you know, let's do this holy, holy, holy thing. God Almighty, amen. Let's say it a couple times. Yes, I'm with you. Maybe a dozen. Let's get a couple songs in there. Build up the band, you know. But day and night, forever and ever, as the text says, that kind of spooked me. I mean, that's a lot of holy, holy, holy. 
you know, uh, I think when we see God face to face, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I guarantee you, I bet my life on it, that it's, it's not going to be boring or tedious. We're not going to feel like, oh, this is a little weird. You're not going to get to heaven's door and be like, whoa, man. Lying to shake hands with Jesus is like longer than Disneyland. Boy, did somebody turn down the music? This, this song is getting a little tedious. Hey, do you know, is there like any money back guarantee if I want to like refund from this place? Can you imagine? But, to, but, but we kind of make heaven sometimes like, ah, eh, no thanks. Listen, John, he's trying to describe really the indescribable. I mean, he's trying to use words to, to describe this, this absolutely marvelous, magnificent, fantabulous, incredible experience. It's just beyond words. And, and, and for me, getting up here, I, you know, I have to say when I was tr- preparing this, I just felt like my words are so stinking minuscule. Just, I, I'm not going to be able to do this justice. I was frustrated with the weakness of, of my communication and being able to describe to you God's holiness. I can only hope that, that through the Bible, which, which we believe is living and active document, and that through the Spirit of God, which we believe is, is working here today, that God will spark people's minds and connect the dots for us and we'll be able to be drawn in further than my words can ever bring us. Friends, I am utterly confident that, that when we stand face to face with God, surrounded by thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands of angels, we will be moved figuratively and literally. I mean, I think we'll be shaken. Jaws will drop open. Knees will buckle. Our hair will stand up on its end. We're going to be carried away and just just drawn into this heavenly experience with all of creation exclaiming, You are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Nobody's going to need to twist that out of us. We're not going to wonder, should I put my hands up or should I bow? Should I sing? She's going to be drawn in. It's going to be incredible. In 1990, NASA launched the Hubble Telescope, a telescope that was about the size of a school bus. And they brought it into outer space with its lens, its mirror, the main one, that was 7.9 feet in diameter. 
Charlie, uh, our head custodian, trumped this up for me. It's a fantastic um, Hubble, if you can imagine with me. So here's what I want to do. little audience imagination here. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the stars. Okay? And, and, you know, it's like, yeah, some stars out there in space. They're kind of twinkle, twinkle, little star. Um, but now what I'm going to do, I want this side of the room to look through my telescope, okay? And, and when, when you see it, what will you see? Could you try and do a little ooh or wow, okay? And then, and then that side of the room, you can close your eyes and we'll, we'll do it for you guys too. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, focus image. Yes. Fantastic. Okay, let's, let's do this side of the room. Okay, back, okay, there's the stars, right? Ready? Three, two, one, focus. Wow. Oh, man. Yes. Fantastic, isn't it? Yes. Friends, if we're finding ourselves thinking that God is a little hmm, humdrum, it's a little, you know, cloudy out there, not that exciting, could it be that we need to spend some time looking through the telescope, perhaps through the reading the Bible, spending time just praying and, and being in his presence. Being with others who, who understand how great is our God. That they would help us to enlarge our view, to focus it, to get a better and clearer understanding of who this God is. I'm wearing a, a cross around my neck this morning, and from where you're sitting, it, it probably doesn't look all that pretty. It's probably a little blurry, a little, you know, nondescript. This morning, I'd invite us to examine the cross, to consider what Jesus did for us. to gaze upon it until all is in focus and you really see how incredible His work was on the cross until it takes up the whole of the focus of the lens. In communion... The love of God is revealed, certainly. But also, the holiness. Because you see, this Jesus, who on the night he was to be betrayed by a friend to death, to be disowned by another friend, and have the rest of his followers scatter. 
this was no mere man. This was the perfect man. The only perfect man who's ever lived in every way. You think about it, the more, the more you look at any one of us on closer examination, you begin to see imperfections, don't you? I mean, think about the, the politicians who are running for president right now. Man, are they being just raked across the coals, having every part of their life examined and exposed. And who among us would do all that much better on close examination of our lives? We like to build ourselves up pretty good. The thing about Jesus is though, the closer you look at Him, the more you're awed and and just marveling. Because you, you can't find any dirt. You, all you see is perfection and, and wonder and incredible power and an amazing love and profound mercy. And so Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. He gave thanks and He broke it. He said, take and eat. This is my perfect body. It's never done anything wrong. It's broken for you who have lied, cheated, stolen, lusted, hated, shouted in anger. This is amazing, holy love. One who is perfect laying down His life for us who are so far from perfect. How great is our God? Look at the cross. That's how great our God is. That same night after supper, Jesus took the cup, wine, red wine, said, this is my blood. The blood of one who transcends time and space. It's poured out for many people, broken people like you. For the forgiveness of everything you've ever done wrong. And don't we know the closer we look, the more we find I'd like to invite the servers to come forward and take these elements to various places around the sanctuary. There'll be a gluten-free station in the back. And I, I would like to invite us to come and participate in this meal again to recognize how incredible God's holiness is, how profound His love and mercy is. that we would find ourselves being wowed this morning, drawn in by participation in this meal. If communion is a new experience to you, you've never participated, certainly don't feel any pressure to participate. But if you find yourself in your heart going, I'm pretty broken. The truth of the matter is, I've messed up a lot. 
and you know that your life needs a Savior, needs somebody who you can look at and be wowed by. If you, if you look at your life and go, I need forgiveness. I need somebody to follow. I need somebody who would clean me out and make me holy. And this meal is for you. Let's become smaller and let Jesus be magnified. Let him take the prominence that he deserves here in Hillcrest Chapel today. Friends, come and worship. Come and celebrate his great love for you. The table awaits.